Well, this morning, um, we have a, a guest here with us that's going to be sharing the word with us, and we're excited to have him with us. Andy Harrison, who served as interim for us uh, several years back. How long was that interim? I was just trying to remember. I don't even... It seemed long. <laughs> no, it did not seem long. It, but he, uh, man, while he was serving at Falls Creek and running camps uh, before, during, and after all of that, he served our church well and cared for our souls. And so I'm, I'm personally indebted to him, and we are as well. And yes, Courtney is waving to me. If your kids would like to go over to Children's Church, now is the time to send them that way. And so we're thankful for Andy to be here. Uh, he is currently not running uh, student ministry in the state level anymore. He is he is running the Falls Creek campgrounds, overseeing that over uh, all the over the campgrounds throughout the year. And so his job has changed a little bit, and yet he still gets to get his feet wet a little bit in student ministry because we're there a lot. So it's it's good to know Andy as a friend, and it's good for us as Emmaus to have him here this morning. So let's welcome Andy as he comes and shares with us. You could have said it, Jaron. I, I know it felt like a long time that I was here. It's, it's good to be back with you at Emmaus uh, today. It was uh, um, a joy to be here as the interim pastor during the time before Owen came, and so I, I'm excited to be with you today. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and I'm going to read here in just a moment, verses 11 through 15. We're going to focus on verse 13 today. It's going to be impetus for the sermon. Um, as Jaron was mentioning, I was before the Falls Creek program director, uh, which meant, and most people in Oklahoma, when they think Falls Creek, they think the youth camp that's there. <coughs> and of course, there's a campground there. It has youth weeks. There are eight youth weeks in the summer, and I was over those eight youth weeks. And I transitioned back in January to director of conference centers at Falls Creek, which uh, most Oklahoma Baptists would say, isn't that the same job? No, it's different, actually. I'm down, living down uh, in that area, and... Uh, I'm at the campgrounds, they're both at Falls Creek and Cross Timbers, our sister camp around the mountain, which does our missions adventure camp. And I oversee both those facilities and the 25 people that work there full time to keep those things going. Outside of the youth weeks and the camp season, which includes a, an associational children's camp and uh, a collegiate week and uh, Indian Falls Creek, uh, those 11 weeks, outside of those 11 weeks, there are 83 significant events that take place at Falls Creek during the year. So there's a lot going on there year round. And I'm, I'm just privileged to be a part of that and to get the opportunity to serve in that capacity. I want to read these verses from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Now, uh, before when I was here, I actually preached a sermon out of this passage and, and focused on verse 11. I know everybody remembers that. I almost preached it again just to see if anyone would come up and say, did you preach that? But we're going to focus on verse 13 today. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority, and let no one disregard you. Let's pray together as we start this morning. Lord, I pray and ask that in the next few minutes that we have together, that you would open our hearts and minds to hear your word. You would convict us, Lord, uh, where you need to convict us. 
Uh, Lord, you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. You would teach us where we do not know. And so, Lord, I, 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 I pray your blessings upon your written word, and as we speak it forth today, Lord, uh, may it accomplish exactly what you desire. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. When I was uh, growing up in the 60s, in the 70s, and then uh, in the early 80s I got married, in that time frame there were a lot of people talking about the end of the world. As a matter of fact, in the late 60s, early 70s, there were books. I remember Hal Lindsey's Late Great Planet Earth came out, and then everybody started writing a book about the end of the earth. I think most of those guys, if they're still around, um, are probably wondering how come it hasn't happened already. But that's, that has been the story from time immemorial, that, that Christ is coming again. But you know, it seems like in the 70s, we talked about that all the time, but you don't ever hear about the return of Christ anymore. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ is coming back. And, and in this passage here in Titus, where Paul is talking to his, his pupil, uh, this young pastor, he says to him in verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now, these words that were spoken to him, or written uh, to, to Titus all, what, 2,000 years ago, are words that he is, he is trying to press upon him, the idea that you need to be working and you need to be living and you need to be speaking according to the idea and the fact and the knowledge of this, that Jesus is coming back and it could be any moment. And so 2,000 years have passed and we look at that and we think, well, uh, it, it's hard to get a sense of urgency when 2,000 years have passed. So how long should we have a sense of urgency? 2,000 years? 4,000 years? 6,000 years? We have a sense of urgency every day as long as it is today until he returns because Jesus is coming back. And that's the first thing I think this passage teaches us is that we have to embrace urgency. And he says they're looking for the blessed hope. That is that, that hope that Jesus, which um, rose from the grave and, sh and, and proved that he had power over death and sin and hell, that he, as he spoke forth a salvation on us and, and brought it because of his sacrifice on the cross, when he said that he was coming again, we have the blessed hope that he indeed will do that. And now what Peter writes, he writes about this as well. I'm going to, you might want to just write these references down and read them later. You can flip over there with me. I'm going to go to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 as Peter begins to speak about this urgency and the coming day of the Lord. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 3 in 2 Peter. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up uh, your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation." I'm going to stop right there for a second. Isn't that the way it is? When we talk about Christ's return, what do you have? What's the pushback on that? Is that, really? He's coming back? Well, it doesn't seem like anything has changed. Everybody's been saying that forever. I look back on my own childhood, and I hear everyone talking about it. I remember it was so, it was so prevalent in the preaching then. I remember I used to have dreams as a kid about Jesus coming back. Now listen, if you're not ready for that, and that dream comes, it's, it's not really such a pleasant dream. 
When you're ready for it, it's a glorious dream. And it is here a blessed hope. But the mockers from day one have been saying, oh, it's, everything's just as it was, and the fathers have fallen asleep, and everything goes on just as it was from the beginning of, beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, verse 5, it says, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. And by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. Listen, what he's saying here is he's saying... By God's word, all these things occurred, and now by his, that same word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Here, this is, this is a great word from Peter. I'm going to stop again. Here from, from Peter as he's speaking about this coming day of the Lord. Listen, everybody mocks and says, ah, everything's remained the same. This isn't going to happen. And, and, and they act like the Lord is somehow delaying everything. And the Lord is just being patient. Listen, the very people that mock ought to be glad that Jesus hasn't come back. Because if he had, they would not be in a place they would desire. You see, he's patient toward them because he loves even those who would mock. And he's hoping that they will change their heart and their mind and realize that his word is true and give them time to turn back to him. But the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the, and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to, this, his, according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He's saying in verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Peter is, is, is echoing that same sense of urgency that Paul is trying to give to his disciple, Titus, as he's mentioning it to them there in Titus chapter 2. He's saying you need to live with the expectancy that he is coming again and that you would embrace the urgency of that because there is a destination for those who are apart from him. First of all, he, 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 we need to know this, right? He is coming again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15-18 says this, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive who are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so we will always be with the Lord therefore encourage one another with these words see that is the comforting words that is the encouragement words for all those who are in Christ and have recognized that Jesus is Lord indeed his sacrifice was sufficient for sin and the only way I receive uh, forgiveness for my sins is to put my faith and trust in Jesus' work on the cross and in trust in his resurrection from the grave, showing his power over sin and death and hell. When I do that, then now I can have this blessed hope and look forward to the day when he is coming again, knowing that I will meet with him when he comes. Now, he is coming again. Here's the deal, though, in this embracing the sense of urgency. We don't know when. And there are a lot of people, like I said, who have written books about this. 
There are a lot of people in a lot of different faiths outside of Christianity. They might call themselves Christians, and indeed they are not. Different cults have always set up the idea of this is the day it's going to happen. By the way, if someone says to you, Jesus is coming back in November of 2025, on November the 25th, all right? Here's what you can rest assured. He's not coming back on 2025, November 25th. All right, we don't know when. As a matter of fact, I, I wish people stopped making predictions so those, those days wouldn't be off the calendar. All right? Right? When something happens, don't you? When you see this world and the way it's spinning out of control, sometimes you hear people say, or you might see me post on social media, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready for Jesus to return. And we don't know when he's coming back. I mean, because we don't know when he's coming back, and it says in Mark 13, by the way, 35 through 37, therefore be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case you should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert, is what it says in Mark. Listen, since we don't know, this means two things. We have a responsibility to Christ, and we have a responsibility to to others. The responsibility that we have to Christ is found there in verse 12 in Titus chapter 2. He says, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Paul is instructing Titus there in that verse 12 that precedes the verse we're focusing on today. He's saying we have a responsibility as we look forward to the return of Christ. And we have this responsibility, Jesus, to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age. Sensibly is that world within. As a matter of fact, if you look through this passage in chapter 2, or actually throughout all of Titus, you'll just see the word sensible keeps coming back up. When it gives qualifications for people and what they should be doing, he's telling them to be sensible. We had to think right. I got to order my life in such a way that I would live expectant of Christ. And righteously is the world around me that I would live in, 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 in relationship with those around me in such a way that I would let them know that there is a God, that he has, he has already entered into this world, He has, through His Son, offers, offers you salvation for your sins, and that He is coming again. And I live in such a way to reflect that. And godly is to live in the world above, to live for those eternal things, knowing that he indeed is coming again. So we have a responsibility to Christ. We also have a responsibility to others because we don't know when he's coming. Every time I get close to this kind of story, I like to share this story. When I was a young man uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, um, I had gone to college and, and dropped out of college and, and decided to uh, get a job. I was in love and wanted to get married, so I married my childhood sweetheart. And Kim and I were living in Sepulpa, and I went to work at a glass factory. And in this glass factory, I actually worked up in the uh, carton loft area, which was up in the top, is in the attic of a glass factory. By the way, they told me when I went to work there, hey, listen, this may not be for you. You know, in the summers, it can get, be, get to be up to 135 degrees in here. And I said, that's all right. I, I've, I've been down the front row of, in the old tabernacle at False Creek. That was a cool day down there, all right? Anyway, we were up there, and I worked closely with shipping, and the guy that worked out in shipping, uh, there were two people that were out there. I was close to her. Her name was Gary and Joanna, and, 
and Gary was a guy that I would always go out and talk to him about what uh, we were sending out the next day. I'd get the cartons ready, and I'd send them down to the glass that was coming off the layers, and they would pack that up, and they'd send it down to shipping. We'd ship out the glassware. And so we had a great relationship. And I, as I got to know both Gary and Joanna, I realized that neither one of them knew Christ. And I knew and had a conviction that I needed to share with them. But I tell you what, as much as I had a conviction that they didn't know Jesus, I kept my mouth shut. I wanted to speak, but I didn't. One day I came down, I was headed to the dock to meet with them, and I saw lights flashing near the dock, this 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 little glass factory was one block away from the hospital in Sepulpa. And uh, so I ran on down there to see what was going on, and Gary had fallen down uh, with a heart attack. They rushed him to the hospital. He didn't make it the one block to the hospital. He was gone. I remember sitting around with all those coworkers, and I know that everybody was talking about Gary, and they were so shocked, and people were crying, and they were upset. Obviously, they'd lost a friend. But all I could think was, all the conversations I'd had with him. And I, listen, I, I love to make people laugh and be around him and enjoy, have a good time and stuff. And I thought about it. Every time I, I had an opportunity to share with him gospel, but instead I told a joke or, or did whatever I could to make him laugh, but I didn't tell him about Jesus. And you know, here's the deal. People who don't know Jesus... When they pass away, according to the scripture, there's another thing we don't like to talk about anymore or teach. But they go to a place called hell, separated from God forever. My heart was broken that I, would, that I had not spoken up. And I, I remember thinking, I need to speak to Joanna. I can't let time go by and not speak to her. She had known and worked with Gary for about 30 years. They were obviously older than I was at that time. And she took a few days off, now, all the time that she was off, and I kept coming back into work. I kept thinking, as soon as she comes back, I'm going I'm to speak to her, I'm going to speak to her. And she got back in the office the next week. Again, I did not say a single word. I couldn't speak up. Couldn't go in there and just share it. You know, when you built your relationship on something other than Jesus, it's hard to bring him in later on. That might be a good word for us to hear. She went home after that next week. And when she got back to her apartment, her ex-husband was waiting for her with a pistol and shot her and killed her. Then two weeks, both of them were gone. And I had never said a word to them about Christ. Now, in Ezekiel, it, it, there's a passage that talks about the, how we're supposed to warn people about the sword coming. And in verse 6, it says this, But if the watchman, that's us who know Christ, what if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and a sword comes and takes a person from them? He's taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. I got to tell you, it's important that we speak up and tell people about Jesus. And by the way, not just from a pulpit, but where we work. And where we go to school. And where we live. And where we interact with people. We don't know when he's coming again. And people who don't know him are perishing without him. It is imperative that we embrace a sense of urgency. Jesus is coming 
again. Here's the next thing we must do from this passage. We must live expectantly. We've got to live expectantly knowing that he's coming. Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. How expectant we should be of this appearing of Christ again as he comes. Listen, Listen to these words from the hymn. Faithful and true would he find us here if he should come today. Watching in gladness and not in fear if he should come today. Signs of his coming multiply. Morning light breaks in eastern sky. Watch for the time is drawing nigh. What if it were today? Uh, we got to live expectantly. Listen, if you're getting ready to go to Disney World, you know, I see all the people on TV, you know, something happens, and they, then they, obviously they're getting, in, they're in, getting paid endorsement. They say, where are you going next? Well, I'm going to Disney World. If you're going to go to Disney World, here's what you do. You, 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 you got to prepare, right? You clear your schedule, and you make sure that all your work is done, and then you plan your agenda where you're going to go. Now, I, I've been to Disney World a few times, and if I'm going right now, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure and, and plan out that I'm headed to Star Wars area. Now, i got the Star Wars village there and stuff. I'm going to make sure i got all that done. If we're, if we're going to live expectantly knowing Jesus come back, we have to note a few things, and here's one thing we need to note. First, we have forgiveness for the past. You know, I thank God that I have forgiveness for the past because whenever I didn't share Christ with two people who needed him, I'm glad that Jesus is able to forgive. Psalm 103, 10 through 12 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. We can live expectantly because we know that he's removed the sins of the past. A lot of us walk around and we're carrying a bunch of baggage on our backs, uh, this sin that's back there, and we think, well, I know, I know I've asked Christ for forgiveness, but it's still there, and I worry about it. If, if Jesus were to come back right now, how would it be? How, how would he see me? Because I know that's there, and I know that he knows it's there. Can I tell you something right now? If you've asked Christ to forgive you for that sin, he has forgiven you. When we receive forgiveness from Christ, it is gone. He holds it no more. As far as the east is from the west, I don't know if you can calculate that, but I'm just going to tell you, that's far apart. So we, could, we can live expectantly. And then we also not only just uh, have to have forgiveness for the past, realize we've been given forgiveness for the past, but we have to have faith for the moment. Now, I'm going to go back over that Second Peter passage where I stopped and, and left off there at verse 13. I'm going to go on verse 14 through the end of the chapter, which is only five verses. Here it is. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures, to their own destruction. And you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. We need to have faith for the moment. And faith is manifest in these three things according to that passage. Peace. We, there is something about whenever we ask Christ to forgive us of our sin. 
and we're made new in Christ. Well, we, there's a peace where there was before all this trouble, all this burden. Do you remember the moment that Jesus took away the burden of your sin? And the peace that took, took over? Listen, as we are living expectantly, we can, we can remember that he's forgiven the, the, that it's in the past. And now we, we have peace for the moment. Whatever trouble comes our way, we don't have to be troubled by that because we know in the end he's got it all. And so we can live with peace in our hearts. And he says to live with purity. We need to be people who, are, who our conduct looks like our Lord. And the way, we, we are to this world a picture of the conduct of God, and so we need to live a life that's pure in our speech and in our actions and in our interactions with others and our dealings. And also, faith for the moment to be steadfast. That is, that in all that we do, we are committed to Christ. And we wait and we wait. Uh, for, uh, as he come, uh, for him to come, and we work as we wait, steadfast, as he's called us to be. Not only have we have forgiveness for the past, we have faith for the moment, and then finally we also have hope for the future. Titus starts out his letter back there in ver- chapter 1, this introduction, or Paul does, as he's writing to Titus, and, and the book starts like this, Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of truth, which is according to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Now listen, we have the promise and the hope for the future, that is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so we, we have this forgiveness for all that we've done. We live by faith in the moment. We live it out well, and we have hope for the future. And then lastly, we want to preserve uh, we must, excuse me, we must uh, persevere faithfully. Listen to the words of this song. One day the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one, bringing glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Listen, we need to persevere faithfully. It's not going to be easy as we wait. Because if we live expectantly, waiting on the return of the Lord, fulfilling what He's asking us to do day by day in faith, the same mockers that mocked the the prophets in the Old Testament and Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament are going to mock you today. If you live for Christ, you will suffer. Now see, there's a prosperity gospel that will tell you if you live for Christ, you will never suffer. Let me tell you, that is a lie. You know why? Because our Savior suffered. And those who follow him follow a suffering servant. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India in the early 20th century, and she wrote this poem. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Lean me against a tree to die and rent by ravening beast that compassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? Boy, those, that last 
portion there is the voice of the Lord speaking forth that the people who follow me be pierced feet that follow me. But your feet are whole. You seem unblemished. It seems like you have no scars at all. Can you really have followed far behind him if you have no wound, no scar? Listen, all who follow him will suffer. But listen, all who suffer for him will one day be rewarded. Listen to what the scripture says in 1 Peter 2, 20. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? I'm not talking about the suffering here. He's not talking about the suffering that we would do for Christ. A lot of us get upset about the suffering we, we endure for our sin. But we know when we sin, we should expect suffering. It's probably coming our way. So he says, well, what credit is there if you, when you sin, you're harshly treated and you endure it with patience. But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. Listen, this finds favor with God. And he has a reward for us. And that reward is that we will be with him always. Our life is one where we're constantly giving it away. Jesus was one who um, was constantly giving his life away. And we're to walk in his steps. That is, each and every day we're giving away our life on his behalf. And we suffer whatever we may suffer for it, knowing that one day we will be rewarded. Because he's already promised us the home with him. And one day he's coming to establish that new place for us. We need to run this race ultimately with endurance and joy. And here in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the scripture says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's Jesus who took on all that he endured in the cross, and even before it, as people continued to mock and ridicule him, as the Pharisees and the religious leaders slapped and spit upon him, as then the Romans began to, to beat him and to scourge him and eventually crucify him. I think of the things that we endure on a daily basis. Someone rejects us or laughs at us or simply just says a word to us, and we're almost ready to punt it all. And Jesus went through so much misery and torture and suffered and endured. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loved me. And because that sacrifice was necessary to forgive us of our sin. So how will I live for him today? Expecting his return. Knowing what he did for me. Knowing he's coming again. How shall I live? I will live, I will live with endurance. And I will live with joy. Because my Lord has secured my life. As the hymn ends and says to us. When he comes, our glorious king all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Listen, if you're in this room and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you living right now with a sense of urgency, expecting his return? Or have you just kind of put that at the way back part of your mind? And you're just making all your plans for right now. When he comes, he comes, that's fine. Or is your life focused in on living for him? 
expecting his return, at any, uh, his return at any moment. We don't know when it'll be. And if you're in this room and you've never received Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've never trusted and put your faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and been made new by Jesus, listen. You better pray and change your life right today or you better hope that God continues to tarry. Because the truth is, he's only, he's only waiting because he's patient towards you, wishing that you would just call out to him and say, oh God, please forgive me. Please make me new. Let's bow and pray together. God, we thank you for your word. And we know, Lord, in fact, that your word is true. And your word tells us that Jesus came to die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He lived a perfect life, and he gave that life up to bear the penalty of sin, which your scripture says is death. And then he rose from the grave to show that he is Lord. And you said that all that trust in him will be saved and forgiven of their sin. And you tell us that he is coming again for his bride, the church. Lord, I pray today that if there are any in this room who don't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would say, oh God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I am so far away from you and I need you. Oh Lord, please forgive me of my sin. I believe and trust in Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection. And Lord, today, may you let them know that as they call out to you, that you say all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray today that indeed it is the day of salvation for them. Lord, for the rest of us who may be in this room who are already believers, may we begin to live with a sense of urgency, for you are coming again. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. 